At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Oi, toodle bang. This is Peter J. Kim on the Food 52 Podcast Network, and you are grooving to Counter Jam, the show that celebrates culture through food and music. You might know from my opening greeting, or the telltale syncopated rhythm you're hearing right now, that this episode is about Brazil, the home of samba, pão de queijo, moqueca, farofa, and so much more. We're going to admire the beauty and energy of Brazil and also reflect on issues related to home and scarcity with musician Bebel Gilberto and chef Natalia Pereira. I'm also excited to rep the Indigenous Foundation of Brazil by spinning a couple tracks by rapper Kunumi MC of the Guarani people. First, though, we're going to listen to this track by Isabel Gilberto de Oliveira, better known as Bebel Gilberto. Bebel comes from musical royalty. Her father, João Gilberto, is widely credited as having pioneered Bossa Nova, the jazzy offshoot of samba that gave rise to beloved songs such as The Girl from Ipanema. Her mother, Musha, was an accomplished jazz singer. Bebel herself took her family's legacy another step forward in 2000 with her landmark album Tanto Tempo, which fused Bossa Nova with Electronica. It's an album that I've listened to more times than I can count. This song we're listening to comes from her latest album, Agora. It's a haunting album she released in the aftermath of losing both her mother and father. This song, which I find simply mesmerizing, was apparently written the day before her father passed away. Everything in this song exudes tenderness. The light as air vocals, the restrained rhythm, the strings that blow in and out like a gentle breeze. This is Cliché by Bebel Gilberto. Cliché by Bebel Gilberto on her latest album, Agora. What a beautiful tune. To me, it triggers a complex mix of emotions. A mix of emotions that might be described as saudade, a Portuguese word that has no direct analog in English, as I learned from Bebel. You know what saudade means, right? Doesn't it mean sadness? Not really. Saudade is a missing feeling. Ah. So you, you go like, ah... Que saudade of eating truffles. 
you know, because it's seasonal, right? So you cannot right. eat it any time. I'm going to go out and have truffles. No, you have to wait for the time to eat. Oh, que saudade I have from my father and my mother that unfortunately are not here anymore. But not necessarily sad. It's a missing uh. feeling. And that's what makes saudade such a unique word, which is the only word that exists in the Portuguese language. Huh. And it's interesting. I have to say that when you're talking about that, for me at least, it really brings me to Bossa Nova, which almost the feeling of Bossa Nova is like what you're talking about. There's a certain amount of, it's not a sad music, but it's there's a certain amount of... No, it's because Saudade was used on this and romantically used a lot, but you can have Saudade from a thing. Right. You don't have to have an, an emotional yeah. feeling attached to, to the word. Right. You know, Saudade can be for anything. Side note, I'm generally fascinated by words that exist in one language but cannot be translated easily into others. Words like dépaysement, a French word that describes the pleasant feeling of being in a foreign place, or the Korean term sonmat, which describes the special flavor of food lovingly prepared by hand. But I digress. Let's talk about Brazil, the sixth most populous country on the planet and the fifth largest its terrain spans rainforests, mountains, and beaches, but what do its people look like? Now, I want you to try something with me. Humor me. Take your phone out and do a Google image search for, quote, Brazilian celebrity, end quote. What do you see? Lots of beautiful faces, right? And curiously, mostly fairer-skinned faces. Indeed, the country's most internationally recognized faces in popular culture are white, and yet, according to the most recent census in Brazil, most Brazilians identify as black. My first guest, Natalia Pereira, the chef and owner of Woodspoon in L.A., had something to say about that. Brazil is a black country. People have come to me and said, oh, we are so shocked that you're black. Hmm. And I will ask, but why? They're like, oh, well, you're Brazilian. And... Again, it's like, well, I'm so glad that I was able to create a restaurant and a meal and offering you so you can understand that that is a black country. But they haven't had the sensibility, the respect to look past the color of their skin, which it happens in many countries. I think racism is something that it is taught mm. and passed forward. And I'm so happy to be black. And... I never saw that in Brazil. I saw that in America. Nobody never questioned me about my color or my name or anything like that in Brazil. But I saw here. Why? Because we still live in a bubble. This particular conversation doesn't come to a classroom. My great, 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 great. They were obviously slaves. They were beaten. They were sold. They were... You know, and that is what we know. So I have no history of my family. That's another thing that I'm mm -hmm. trying to find out exactly where I came from mm -hmm. because I don't know my uncles and aunts brought it. I don't know. I don't have that. So I don't know my history exactly. But I chose to create something from the restaurant. Now I'm doing art, another thing that I have just developed and I'm doing really well in it. My culture, my, uh, you know, the, the black, the Negro that I came from, I wanted to celebrate that. 
To Natalia, Brazil is far more colorful than what most of the world sees. They focus on that black and white color. But I feel if we really took the time to see, is way bigger than that. Um, because has been many relationships that came out of that. Mm-hmm. Even though I consider myself black, I'm the descendant of a Negro, I still, if you look at my skin, I'm not as dark. I still have a little bit of a mix. Because Brazil, going back, it is a mix. Brazil provide is a, such a great soil that provide the Portuguese to come in, the African to come in. You know, we have all the indigenous that they still live. A lot of them, you know, was, you know, kidnapped of their own environment, but they're still yeah. there. So, and then we were able to create this incredible fine mixture. But yet, that is not shown. We still in that particular place where oh, wow, you're black. Uh, yes, <laughs> I am. It won't change. I am, and I'm so proud. Going forward, let it be known that Brazil is a significantly, if not mostly, black country. In fact, there are more people of African descent in Brazil than in any other country outside of Africa in the world. That makes Brazil second only to Nigeria in terms of the number of black inhabitants. The tragic reason for this, of course, is slavery. Brazil received more enslaved Africans than any other country in the world, brought here largely for the booming sugar economy. There are, of course, many other cultures that are woven into the country's national identity as well, including indigenous ones. Natalia spoke to some of the additional influences. Brazil is for sure a country within many countries. Uh, We host one of the biggest Japanese community outside of Japan. We have extraordinary number of Koreans in Brazil. We have in Sao Paulo. We have Chinese in Minas. We have, there's probably now, they were saying more, I'm not sure if it's true, more uh, Lebanese in Brazil than actually in Lebanon, (laughs) which is strange. And so, and then we have Stroganoff, which is German. We have Kibi, which is Middle Eastern. We have Bacala, which is Portuguese. Oh, yeah. You know, it, 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 it's like everything walks together, you know, and we dance together and we move together and we love soccer and yeah. we find any possible way to celebrate together to, you know, you can find like a tiny screen during a, a you know, a good game and it's like, a hundred people behind. You cannot even see the screen, but one screen, everybody screams. So we are very faithful to our country. That brought us to the topic of farofa, a ubiquitous part of the Brazilian table. Farofa is farinha, or flour, typically made from cassava that is toasted with oil, butter, or animal fat, and often with aromatics such as onion, garlic, pork, or even egg or fruit. It can be used as a topping to add a toasty, crunchy dimension to any dish, or it can be eaten as a dish in its own right. I love the stuff. In any case, it's a centerpiece of Brazilian cuisine. I think of farofa as being a very symbolic food for Brazil in a way. Oh, yes. Because in my mind, farofa kind of brings together things on the plate. Yep. And so you can kind of add it and it just oh, brings farofa, it together. Oh, farofa is everything. And... <laughs> And I love that you mentioned that. It's sort of like a little kimchi makes a difference over rice. Farofa yeah. makes a huge difference for us. Yeah. It's not just because 
it, bring, it brings together, but it also expands. Babel thinks of farofa as a way to gather, or catch, different parts of the plate together. For this reason, she coined a term calling farofa a, quote, ketchup food, end quote. That will make it easier to catch, uh, to be like a ketchup. Right, Let's right, put it that way. Farofa is a Brazilian ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we just discovered that, yeah. yeah. But it is a ketchup because it's a way, it's like Ethiopian food, you know, like right. with that little pancake that they have. In yes. this case, it's just to really put it together and really eat it with your hands, not even having the pancake. That's interesting. I never thought about it in that way. I always just sort of sprinkle it on top and then eat it with a spoon. But that's No, really it's actually to bring the food together. For the newly initiated, farofa may seem a little quizzical. I remember I had a boyfriend Ryan, he'll say like, oh, so that dust, we should eat that dust. I was like, no, that's not a dust. That's not dust. That's farofa, farinha, farinha toast, not dust. Farofa is not only a delicious culinary staple in Brazil, it's a way of life. We, we have this saying that we call it farofeiros, no? And farofeiros is, <laughs> which I love. If you go to the beach and you can afford to eat, you know, at the end of the, end of the week, a lot of people leave from their homes or slams and, and they go into to the beach. So one thing that you bring is farofa. It doesn't cost a lot. <laughs> yeah, You're yeah. going to be filled up. And sometimes it's just like onions and eggs and you can do a farofa. Sometimes it can be with leftover pork or whatever you have. Or sometimes if you can do plantains or bananas because we really, we don't have a lot of plantains in Brazil but we have bananas so you fry bananas and onions and then you throw a little mm-hmm. roasted you can top salt and pepper mm-hmm. and then you have a farofa mm-hmm. and so <laughs> I know so the word farofero means means it's basically like oh you know it's it's almost like taking like um you can it's like it's, it's food for the poor you know oh, they're farofero they just come in with a little you know, hmm. contain and they sit on the beach, they have the greatest time, but they can afford to have, for example, we call it spitinho. They cannot afford to have a skewer from this vendor or from that vendor. So yeah. they bring their little farofas. And, they, and it's funny, they bring usually farofa. We call it mayonnaise, but it's basically a potato salad consists of carrots, hmm. green beans, potato, peas sometimes if you can um in the in mayonnaise and you have this container of mayonnaise which i have done many times set with my friends on the beach and we have a container of farofa and we spend the whole day having the greatest time possible (laughs) we don't need to spend the money we cannot afford the fancy thing that is for the tourists and that is what we have and a lot of times even the people selling there they also have their own farofas (laughs) But we yeah. bring it us because we couldn't afford. So it's like, oh, they are farofeiros. You know, we are not <laughs> the fancy ones. So that's what it is. I think I would be very proud to wear <laughs> the farofero uniform. Hey, me too. <laughs> I, have, I have been a farofero many times. Oh, yeah. You know, and, some oh, people, yes. and they take on the bus, you know, yeah. and they just go and they get a little place and they sat down and they're like, We're not, we, don't, we, can't, we can't spend money. While I couldn't find any definitive research on the origins of farofa, it does seem well accepted that indigenous peoples domesticated cassava, which by the way is also known as manioc or yuca, and first processed it into a flour. 
In any case, historically documented or not, it can be safely assumed that the over 300 indigenous cultures that call Brazil home have played a significant role in shaping the country's cuisine and culture. After all, these are folks who were around long before anyone else showed up. My next featured musician, Kunumi MC, comes from one of these very indigenous cultures. He is from Krukutu, a Guarani village just outside Sao Paulo, and he is nothing short of remarkable. At the age of 13, he made headlines at the 2014 World Cup when he went out on the field before the opening match and raised a banner calling for demarcation, which is the allocation of land to indigenous peoples. Soon after that, he took up hip-hop as a means to continue his advocacy. In one interview, he explained his position. Quote, The white man has a vision of progress, not us. Our progress is to preserve our culture, to live in the present. I have to remember my past. I sing the truth of my people. My music is a protest against everything happening to the indigenous peoples in Brazil now. End quote. At the age of 16, he recorded the album My Blood is Red, a searing call for indigenous rights. This song is from the album and it's called Nunca Desistir, which means never give up. In it, he demands land and rights for his people. Here's Nunca Desistir by Kunumi MC. Tamo aqui na luta, sempre a prostral, que é tudo por direito, queremos mais respeito. Para Nibuad, de hoje a lutar, mando com respeito, porque esse é meu lugar. Nandeva é na rima, com isso vai pra cima, queremos harmonia na mata bem vivida. Poesia, linda rima, bela rima, muda tudo, não me iludo, vou com tudo, Nandeiro, pra nós é tudo. Juruaru, bicharé, venham, Juruaru, Next, the one Brazilian dish that gives Bebel Gilberto that feeling of saudade and reflections on scarcity and privilege with Natalia Pereira after this. Ai, Maroim, sempre alto astral, direito, rojo, pão, amarei, porta, respeito. Tiene, tá na coelho, já de oi, já lutar. Feite, ativo, cova, é, pânia, de paia. I like asking people about what they eat for breakfast. I find that people are generally at their least adventurous in the morning, so they go with the tried and true. I also find that there's a high level of diversion between cultures in terms of what is eaten for breakfast. So, I asked Babel. This morning, I had, I had a pão de queijo. Do you know what pão de queijo is? Of course, yes, yes. I had pão de queijo from this very nice place called Nema underneath my house. And I had some black coffee made by them. That wasn't good because I'm very, very, you know, precise with my coffee way of making it. <laughs> like coffee press. So then I came back and did another coffee. That was my <laughs> breakfast. Two cups of coffees and four, pounds of, four little pounds of queijo. I have to admit to you, I think that the moment I really fell in love with Brazilian cuisine was the moment I first bit into a pão de queijo. And it was just like oh a door, so I it was like a door right opening. Tea. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I always I often think of breakfast as being sort of a um a window into people's culinary soul. And so if pão de queijo is at your culinary soul, I think um you have a very a very good soul. Babel, being the daughter of international music superstars, lived an itinerant life growing up. She was born in New York City, moved to Mexico at the age of three, and then moved to Brazil for the first time at the age of six. 
We talked about her first memories of coming to Brazil, and as you'll see, we got a little tripped up by my pitifully low comprehension of Portuguese. When I arrive in Brazil, the first memory I have is mate. I drink mate,、mm. the mate tea, and、yeah. I remember I was、yeah. never a big fan of pure water. So you know, my grandmother was trying to convince me to take mate. <laughs> so the first memory will be—I mean, the first exposure to Brazilian food and culture on food is is mate, actually. <laughs> and that's, of course, probably brought in by all the Japanese immigrants who came into Brazil, who've also affected the cuisine there.、So、I don't know who brought the mate because、uh, I don't think it's the Japanese, is it? Mm, I, the mate it, tea. That'll be my guess. It's from、yeah. the south. Yeah, no, because um. Yeah, oh no! No, sorry. No. I'm getting、it's、it mixed up. Uruguay, I'm getting mixed up. From the south, yes. 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 No, this is my mistake. Japanese don't do matcha. They don't. You know what I was thinking about was matcha, and you were saying no ma- matcha. Yes, matcha. Yeah, matcha、yes. is not here yet. Sorry. Yes. I got matcha. <laughs> I got matcha, but people don't know what matcha is in Brazil yet. That's popular in New York. <laughs> yes, I'm so sorry, Babel. I um. You know, I, I know it in Spanish as mate. Yes, exactly. Ma- it spells like M A double T E. Mate、right. is comes from the south and、yes. probably from the the South America, from Peruvian Uruguay. Is that one that you drink like in a cuya, like that? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's very energetic. It also has a caffeine. It's not matcha. Yes, I drank a lot of that in Argentina almost every day. My、uh, yeah. roommate there was from Cordoba, and that's like their daily drink. Oops! Funnily enough, this triggered a story from Bebel about a miscomprehension she had herself when she came to Brazil for the first time. Since she'd grown up in the U.S. and in Mexico, at that point, English and Spanish were her stronger languages. I remember my cousin one day when I arrived. I was very peculiar because I knew the names of things. I always was very sophisticated with food, and my cousin said, "Don't you want to eat? It's papa boa." And、mm. my Brazil, my Portuguese was still at the、mm. beginning because I was speaking mix of English and Spanish. So I thought papa boa was some sort of food.、Mm. I mean, like you know, a name of it. And no, papa is food. Boa is good. Papa Boa. So ages later, <laughs> I understood that she meant Papa Boa, and then she was pointed to a beef. That's Papa Boa. Then the next day, a fish. That's Papa Boa. I was like, no, that's so funny because I was like, but you told me that Papa Boa was a meat. How can Papa Boa be fish? And she was like, no, you don't get it. It's Papa Boa. Then ah,、oh, I got it. That's so funny, isn't it? I love that. Babel told me about her ultimate papaboa. When I went to see my aunt, that used to live on—I mean, lives still in the northeast in a little town called Olinda. We went to this place called Tracunhaen, and I had my first carne de sol with feijão de corda. That's like something that I remember blew my mind, and、ah. it was that dry meat that they dry at the sun. And then they do this、uh, butter sauce, pure butter on it, and then the pejão de corda actually has no sauce. It's quite、oh, dry,、wow. and it's quite green, and it's a little cold, but it's perfect with the combination with the meat and the and the butter、uh-huh. and the farofa. Of course, on the sides 
of course, that will suck out the, the juice. And mm. I remember, until today, you have to go to this little town called Tracunhaen to have the real carne de sol with feijão de corda, which for me, it blew my mind. And it's very typical from the Northeast. And it really meets my, my way of eating because I like fish that are tasty and, and doesn't really fall. Like I'm a big feijoada lover, but I'd yeah. rather have the carne de sol with the feijão de corda than a feijoada. Because feijoada you eat, then you you die. <laughs> and this one was different. And then you put the pepper yeah. with the pimenta malagueta, which is the sauce. Of course, I love feijoada too, but I'd rather pick up one of the Northeast dishes like bobo, like feijão de corda, like carne de sol. You know what bobo is, right? No, I don't actually. Please Bobo explain. Is the is the it's it's like it's made with the yuca that actually makes the pão de queijo. So it's like you're making like some sort of muqueca, but with the the mm. shrimp, and then you add the the yuca sauce that makes like a kind of a cream, and it's one of my favorite dishes. And you may eat that with a puré de como é que fala de leite. So it's like they also have the sweet milk. So they make like a kind of a flan of sweet milk, but not that sweet. That will meet yeah. straight up with the bobo de camarão and the, and the malagueta, and it's mm. killing. My grandmother oh. used to make a very good bobo. Very good. It's Papa Boa. <laughs> Papa Boa. Papa Boa, definitely. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning things. <laughs> you got it. Babel is not only a consumer of papaboa, she knows how to make some mean papaboa too. And until recently, she was a long-standing resident of the East Village in Manhattan, where apparently she threw some outstanding dinner parties. Her dish of choice was a Brazilian classic. My typical thing was gnocchi, because we eat gnocchi. We have a lot of Italian references, right? Yeah. So the gnocchi is something that you cook, it, it calls the... Gnocchi da sorte. Gnocchi da sorte, mm. you eat every 29 of the month. This is a tradition that actually spans a number of countries, including Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina. As the tradition goes, you put money under your plate before eating the gnocchi. Or, in the case of New York City... Well, got like credit cards, you know, anything under the plate. So we could, you know, be, you know, lucky in our... Uh-huh. A prosperity for the rest of our lives. So that, that that is when you eat every 29, surrounded by your friends, gnocchi da sorte may bring luck to your finances. Gnocchi or no gnocchi, I know I'm one of the lucky ones. As someone who is relatively well-off in a well-off city in a country that is far wealthier than most of the world, I have immense privilege. Thinking just in terms of food, when you think about it, it's mind-blowing that I can imagine something that I want to eat, whether it's a strawberry, or a mango, or sushi, or alu gobi, or pung de queijo, and I can have it quite possibly delivered to my door. Contrast that with the lives of billions of impoverished people around the world who don't have such an array of options. Or contrast that even with the lives that my parents lived growing up in war-torn South Korea. My mom's once-in-a-while food luxury as a kid was a bowl of rice with a little soy sauce and an egg cracked on top. I try to remind myself of this fact as much as possible. 
Natalia's story of growing up in Minas Gerais, a state in the southeast of Brazil, is one such powerful reminder. I was born in, the, in this little town called Vianópolis, super small. Now you can find it, but before it was only the highway. They show nothing, just a little highway. And I was born of uh, a relationship that, you know, a forbidden one, as they call it, uh, between um, an uncle and a niece. Because she was born out of a taboo relationship between family members, her birth parents abandoned her. Instead, she was raised by a woman named Francisca, her birth father's legal spouse. And uh, from the moment that they decided they didn't want me, um, my father, legitimate wife, decided to um, raise me when they left me a few days Mm -hmm. after I was born. And at that time, she had a son. And um, of course, now I understand he didn't accept, he didn't understood, he didn't know what was that, he didn't um, liked, he didn't love me or like me or, mm-hmm. and, and I get it. Um, so I lived with her until the age, you know, a few weeks to the age of seven. At this point, Natalia's birth parents decided they wanted her back. They took me. They basically came and basically kidnapped me, took me away to live with them, with my birth mother, my birth father. And before that, you know, as a child, as growing up, I only knew this woman as my mother, Francisca is her name. And this is my mother. This is where I live. Um, This is my chick and my cat. You know, we go, I climb trees and... Mm-hmm. And, and then I was taken from that space, which a lot of love and respect and integrity and brought in to be with my, with my birth family, where living with them, by the time I got to live with them, they would have a little boy and a little girl. Um, mm-hmm. And I realized this, this, this is your brother, this is your sister. Okay. I have never seen them before and didn't have the yeah. age or understand what that was. Um, and I just, uh, you know, stayed there and maybe within a year and a year and a half, um, they, you know, issues happened in a home and they had a horrible argument and a horrible fight and they went away. The police came, it was one of those scenes and I was little, my brother was little, my sister was little and I didn't saw my mom for maybe my birth mother for um, a week or two. By the time she returned to the to this little house where we lived, uh, maybe I would say 40 minutes, 45 minutes from where I, I was growing up, uh, in a place that was completely new to me, um, she said, you know, we are leaving. And I said, great. So she began packing it up, selling things. And all of a sudden she says, no, I'm leaving. You guys stay. But there was nothing there. And, um, you know, she left and I stayed there with my little brother, my little sister, and I tried to understand why that is, or, you know, I don't, I, I was nine and, uh and I think that, um, you know, we are so strong as a child and, you know, we are still somehow, uh, pure and. We have dreams, and I, you know, I, do, I don't even know how I was able to go through that period. Abandoned, on her own, at the age of nine, 
left to care for two younger siblings. I can't, I can't even imagine. I ask help. I ask help from people in the bus station. I ask help from the police. I ask, I said, I have a mama. I want to go see her. And they, of course, they were confused. And, you know, Brazil is very different than here. You know, you don't have uh, social service. They come to you. You don't have that kind of, uh, you know, uh, right. entity or platform that is set up here. So eventually one of uh, bus drivers says, well, I recognize her. Uh, I know where she used to live. And they put us in a police car mm-hmm. and drove us to where I was previously living. And um, when we got there, of course, now it's three kids. And, and she just looked at us and they say, well, they cannot be living in an abundant place with nobody caring for them. And uh, she was like, okay. So she took all the three of us in. And and that was probably, I think, a very beautiful moment. But and then soon after that, we were all taken to, to a church and um, talk to different people, and we were all given away. I went to live with mm-hmm. one family. My sister still lives with the same family. Uh, and my brother went to live with another family. I'm not quite sure what happened here, but it seemed to me that Francisca herself had limited means. And I suspect that taking on three new kids was unfortunately more than she could support. From there on out, Natalia moved from home to home. Francisca was always there for her, though. I would stay with her for maybe a few months, and then I will live with another family, and we can't, she'll come and visit me and bring me like homemade butter or soap or things mm-hmm. that I like. So, um, and she became my hero by acting the way that she did. Um, and I always dreamed for the weekend when she came and, you know, I asked about my brother, my sister. And, uh, and I thought, oh, you know, if one day I can, I want to give her all those things that I have seen in people's places and, you know, for example, television or a telephone or hot water or things like that. Mm-hmm. So what she gave it to me was this way of cooking and with no recipes, really, it was just watching. From Natalia's description of Francisca, whom she came to identify as her mother, it sounds like she was an extraordinary cook. A true mother, a true woman, a true cook, a true chef, mm-hmm. if that I could say. Yeah. You know, people say, well, I love your food. I was like, well... Wait if you should have eaten my mother's food. Yeah. You know, like she'll make, we had chickens um, and we had a beautiful eggs and the chicken was on a, in a run. We would go, the chicken began making the sound. We follow to find the eggs or sometimes we just, you know, discover little baby chickens already. So it's this chicken stew that you actually collect the blood with vinegar. And then when this, mm. the chicken is pretty much cooked, you just pour that over. It's almost like a mole, but it's basically using only the blood of the chicken. It's wow. delicious. And you eat that with like a oh white rice. is perfect. You know, and I used to look and like, this is amazing. You know? <laughs> it's like, wow, I look like a chocolate, you know? What's remarkable to me about Natalia is that she looks back at this time of her life with gratitude. So it was, it was, it was this really wealthy, but... You know, with the most beautiful limitations. Now I realize how lucky I was. I actually was to mm. be able to see the other side. 
and yeah. to experience the other side as hard as was and challenges was. And anytime I put myself a cup of rice and beans, it's always like, wow, you know, somebody doesn't have this. Natalia told me about a fruit tree she had called the Jabuticaba. My ears perked up. Tell me more about Jabuticaba. I could just... Oh my God. I, okay. Jabuticaba, if, uh, it's, it's a very strong tree and the, and the wood is amazing. It's almost, it's almost, it's, it's the same feeling as an eucalyptus tree. Except mm-hmm. the leaves are very small. The leaves are a half a size of uh, olive leaves, and they're mm-hmm. like rounded. And you have this tree, and they're like beautiful, and they grow straight up. And all the tree gets covered with this tiny little white flower, full of bees, and it smells amazing. And then you have this <laughs> tiny little green thing that comes out, like a little tiny grape, you know, like and. Uh, and all of a sudden, it began, it grow, it grow, and then you have all these lines, purple, red, and then it turns black. And mm. we would uh, squeeze out, all, almost like a leech, we squeeze out all the jelly, and then we get the seeds, and we, so- and we soak the seeds. And mm-hmm. she would just have this giant container, and she just tie it up and, you know, and let that thing ferment there. Mm. And then we put in a little bottles. We take with us when we go get the woods and whatever she found a little creek, she stop it in, she dig a little hole and she put it there, she'll mark it. And mm. the color, it was perfect. It was like this uh, maroon, burgundy color. And that was our wine, according to her. Oh, well, I have to say it's, <laughs> it's, a, life, it's a life goal for me now to have Jabuchicaba wine. Today, Natalia is a successful chef and restaurateur but her early life experience keeps her anchored. I, I, I'm living a privileged life that whoever my great-great-great-great-grandparents were, they didn't. So I want to mm. live for them. We're going to close things out as we always do with the question, if you were stranded on a deserted island and could only eat one Brazilian dish for the rest of your life, what would it be? Here's Babel's answer. It will be just like grilled fish, White rice and veggies. Sounds pretty great to me. Any beans with that? I, I'm not a big meat uh, beans eater at all. <laughs> I like lentils better. Because of the whole process yeah. of digesting yeah. and, I, you know. Uh-huh, yes. Yeah, that's why. But it will be grilled fish in a banana leaf, if it's possible, because in the island I'm sure I can find it. And the rice just the way, this most simple way. And veggies, like just on the, on the fire, will be perfect. I can eat that every day for sure. Natalia answered without hesitation. Rice and beans. <laughs> <laughs> and farofa, of course. Don't forget the farofa. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <yes. laughs> That's easy. Oh, I mean, that would be... Yes, yeah. Like, you know, I, I have this thing in the restaurant, usually in the morning... After I make, after we make, uh, finish the rice and the bean that is still steaming, yeah. I, I get a, co- a coffee cup and I pour, you know, two fingers of rice, five fingers of beans, and fat off on top. And when I, and I mm. see that, and it's like, okay, life is amazing. That's right. I'm, I'm grateful for you. I appreciate you. I'm grateful for you. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Natalia.
Here's a last track from Kanumi MC. It's a nod to his father, Olivio Jacupe, who is a Guarani writer and uses his writing to make others aware of the struggle for indigenous rights. This is Literatura Nativa by Kanumi MC. Trazendo a confiança e por isso me alegrou Eu sou um cantor e também um escritor Poeta declamador Como batalhei pra chegar até aqui Hoje sou um MC pra batalhar e tipo assim É, mas só sei que nunca irei desistir O rap nos libertou e trouxe a emoção Inspira a nossa mente, fortalece o coração Arrima bem na mira, na vida, em autoestima Poesia que encanta na defesa, harmonia E penso logo, existo, pensei, virei um MC Graças a Deus que estou aqui pra batalhar e, Tipo assim, só sei que nada sei, eu não sou superior Mas alcancei a riqueza no meu lado interior Pensando bem, dinheiro é um papel Enfeitiça vários mano, mas não A mão de Deus ou conhecimento that's a wrap for this episode. Remember, if you like the show, make sure you hit follow and leave a friendly review on Apple Podcasts. Shout out to our guests, Babel Gilberto and Natalia Pereira. Shout out to Babel and Kunumi MC for providing the music. Shout out to Food52, Harry Sultan, and especially Coral Lee, the farofa who brings the many pieces of each episode together into a harmonious whole. I'm Peter J. Kim, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Counter Jam.